Welcome to the Talking Tenancies podcast, brought to you by the Residential Tenancies Authority. I'm your host, Belinda Hyde. Join me as we explore everything you need to know about renting in Queensland with experts from the RTA and industry. We're here to help make renting work for everyone. You've been on the hunt for your dream rental and finally spotted the right home for you. After inspection, you'll love it and want to take the steps to rent it. So what happens next? Today's expert from the RTA, Sam Gaylor, Senior Team Leader for Customer Experience, joins us today. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us about your role at the RTA and what you're responsible for? Certainly. So I am a Senior Team Leader, Customer Experience, uh, and I look after uh, one of our uh, teams in the contact centre, taking customer inquiries and uh, that's on bond matters and tenancy matters and our web services. Yes, and that keeps you super busy, as we all know. <laughs> Certainly does, yeah. Now, um, we're going to talk about starting a tenancy today and um, there's, there's a lot for us to cover in this episode. So if, if you're a new renter and you're, you're starting out in a tenancy, this is a really um, great episode for you. So when we're starting a tenancy... Rent is one of the key things that we need to take into account each week. Now, that needs to be advertised as a fixed rent price on a property along with the rental bond. What is a bond and how much bond can be taken? Okay. Uh, so, you've mentioned there rent and bond. So, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll cover both. Yep. As you said, it is a big topic, but it's it's a really important one to get right. Mm. Uh, so, relating to rent... Uh, yes, a rental property must be advertised at a fixed price. Uh, that means that a, a property manager or an owner must not advertise a rent range, uh, put a property up for rent auction or ask for offers. Uh, on the other side of that though, a prospective tenant, there, there isn't anything preventing them from offering more than the amount advertised uh, and the property manager or owner may accept their offer. With relation to bond, uh, so a rental bond is a security deposit paid at the start of the tenancy by the tenant. Uh, It's paid back to the tenant when the property is vacated, provided that there's no money owed for rent, damages or other costs. Uh, For general tenancies, if the rent is $700 or less per week, then the maximum bond amount that can be taken is four weeks rent. If the weekly rent is higher than $700, there's no maximum specified under the Act mm-hmm. uh, on the amount of bond that can be taken. Uh, we would recommend that the property manager uh, or owner and the tenant discuss and negotiate the amount of bond that is taken in that situation. Uh, so rental bonds must be lodged with the RTA uh, for safekeeping. If the property manager or owner takes a bond, they must give the tenant a receipt and they must lodge it with the RTA within 10 calendar days. Uh, the RTA will issue a receipt once we've received the bond. The tenant can also lodge the bond directly with the RTA uh, and they do that via the RTA's web services or by completing and submitting a bond lodgement form. Um, once, uh, once that's received, an acknowledgement of rental bond is sent out by the RTA to all parties in the tenancy, so once the payment is cleared. So that means that if you do lodge your bond online, 
and pay by card, you could actually receive that acknowledgement within minutes, uh, which is greatly reassuring for both tenants and the, the property manager or owner. And that um, saves a, a lot of um, hassle, doesn't it? Like the tenant can actually take care of that and doesn't have to wait for the the agent or the managing property to take care of that for them. It's it's quick, easy, and they can do it all themselves. Yep, absolutely. So it, uh, it gives control and, I guess, uh, responsibility mm. to all parties equally. Mm. Uh, and it means that you can actually just get it going, whereas yeah. you might find the... Uh, the owner or the agent is a bit busy mm. um, and maybe doesn't have time to lodge it, can just get it done quick, fast and, yeah. Uh, and safe. Yeah, and you can also have uh, multiple bond contributors as well. So how, how do we manage those? Yep, so you can have multiple uh, bond contributors uh, in a tenancy. So we, we often see, for instance, uh, a co-tenancy where there'd be two or more people named as tenants actually on the, the tenancy agreement and they each pay a share of the bond and rent, rent the property. Um, there are also other situations, uh, for instance, such as subletting, and that's probably a, a topic in itself, mm. but um, where a tenant in the tenancy agreement takes on the role of head tenant, mm-hmm. um, they are essentially taking on uh, responsibilities of the, the property manager or owner to a degree, um, and that would include if they had a subtenant, um, they'd have to provide a receipt for their bond money paid and they would need to lodge the bond with the RTA. So it's about having that level of protection where you've paid money, um, that it's held with the RTA uh, and not held with one of the parties. Yep. Um, there are different ways uh, to manage multiple bond contributors. So in an existing tenancy, you can add or remove bond contributors or change bond contribution amounts uh, online via the RTA web services. Uh, You can use our change of bond contributors web service or you can complete and submit a paper change of bond contributors form to the RTA. If you're starting a brand new tenancy with other contributors, you can lodge the full bond online using the uh, bond lodgement web service including the details, email addresses of all bond contributors, or you can use the paper bond lodgement form. For the change of bond contributors process, whether it's online or via paper, the RTA actually only requires the bond contributors who are transferring some or all of their bond to another party to agree to the request. So property managers or owners, new bond contributors and existing contributors Uh, Where their bond amount is uh, increasing or remaining the same, they don't need to agree to the change request. Um, The flip side of that, though, or I guess just to provide some balance uh, on that, we want to make it very clear that the property manager uh, or owner must give permission for any new tenants, subtenants or housemates before they can move in. Uh, So that's no matter if they are listed on the tenancy agreement as paying a share of the bond or not. So the other cool thing with um, web services, and we see scenarios where there's multiple tenants in in our property, Um, someone moves out or someone else moves in, um, we can easily update those bond amounts and contributions through web services and it's done quite easily online. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So with rent payments, what are some of the ways it can be paid 
when it is due and does rent need to be paid in advance? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to probably get a little bit uh, technical here. So <laughs> if, if uh, I generally recommend that people refer to uh, the website yep. uh, for this part of it, but I'm, I'm going to go through uh, all the ways that, uh, that rent uh, can be paid, the mm-hmm. approved ways under the Act. So the uh, the Queensland Tenancy Legislation lists the seven ways uh, that are approved for paying of rent, uh, and this includes cash, cheque, uh, deposit to a financial institution account, which is nominated by the property manager or owner, uh, via FPOS, um, credit card, payroll deductions or pension deduction, and any other method agreed on by the property manager or owner and the tenant. So, for example, that could be a a rent card. Uh, If the property manager or owner wants the tenant to pay by another method, uh, they must inform the tenant of any costs associated with that method, such as joining or processing fees, uh, and they must offer at least two of the other listed ways to pay that rent. Moving on to uh, to your next point on uh, when rent is due. So the agreement, so the, the tenancy agreement, the lease, mm-hmm. should state quite clearly the day that rent is due to be paid. Uh, important point on where rent is being paid electronically, which is more and more um, the, the norm mm. these days, rent is actually considered paid when the tenant has made the payment, not when it's being received. Right. So that's a really important distinction to make because, um, for example, if you're a property manager and you're wanting to see uh, the amount of rent in your account, for instance, on a Thursday, you want to receive that money mm-hmm. on a Thursday, um, you're probably better off uh, requesting that the rent be paid on a Tuesday mm. to allow for bank processing times, for instance. Um, it's important to set those expectations between the parties Otherwise, the relationship can can really get off on a bad note. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, a tenant pays their rent on a Thursday mm-hmm. because that's what their lease says. Uh, it's then not in the property manager or owner's account, you know, potentially until Monday. Yeah. Uh, no fault of the tenant, as rent is considered to have been paid mm. on the Thursday. So when they made that payment. Yeah, so technically that's not a breach of any kind. That's that's still on time. Correct. Mm. Uh, and a really good example of that that uh, we tend to refer to is the Easter holiday. Mm. So you might make the uh, the payment on a, a Wednesday, for instance, but then you've got Good Friday, yep. you know, Easter Saturday, Easter Sunday, Easter Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, no fault of the tenant. They've made the payment, but due to potentially the bank's processing times, um, it may not appear in the account mm. until you know, further the next week. Yep. Uh, and then getting on to the, the question on paying rent in advance. Um, so this is a, another um, you know, another sort of tricky scenario at times or mm. one where there's some confusion. Um, a tenant will often be asked to pay rent in advance. Now, rent in advance uh, simply refers to the first rent payment that the tenant makes to the property manager or owner, usually before or uh, on the day that they move in. Uh, it's unlawful for the property manager or owner to ask the tenant to make another rent payment until that rent in advance has actually been used up. Yep. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll give a bit of a scenario there for, mm-hmm. for rent in advance just to, to make sure that we're clear on that point. 
Um, so you've got a tenancy agreement that states that the tenant pays $400 per fortnight. So before they move in, they pay $400, which is their rent in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they move into the property and they live there for two weeks. At the end of that two weeks, that's when their next rent payment is due. Yep. Uh, the rent in advance has essentially been used up. Uh, in terms of tenants offering to pay uh, a number of weeks or months of rent in advance, um, and I guess this is relevant at the moment, potentially to stand out mm. from the competition, um, they can make that offer to the managing party. So there's nothing stopping them from offering that, but the uh, the managing party cannot require the tenants to do that. And can can they be stopped in doing that? Like if, if they want to pay a couple months in advance, they can just go ahead and do it, can't they? They can. There's nothing stopping uh, a tenant from offering to pay a certain amount of, uh, of rent in advance above mm. the requirement, um, but it is a very clear distinction that the managing party cannot request this yeah. of them. Yep, got it. So at what point should the lease be signed? Okay, Um Prospective tenants, so they should have inspected the rental property in person uh, or these days more commonly uh, virtually via mm. video. Mm. Um, and then they should be given a copy of the proposed tenancy agreement or the lease, as, uh, as it's commonly called, for them to consider before committing to the tenancy. Um, and a lot of these things are really just about being well prepared yep. and reading through terms and conditions, making sure you're understanding what the the requirements are. Um, Tenants should take time to read through that agreement carefully to see that the details, such as the rent amount and the tenancy start date, for instance, are as agreed, Mm -hmm. um, and that they understand any special terms that are included. Yep. So, for instance, if uh, if the rental property is a unit or an apartment uh, or anywhere where it's a, a body corporate, um, then a copy of the body corporate bylaws should be provided as they are considered to be part of the tenancy agreement. So, And they will often uh, include items such as um, parking, for instance, a mm-hmm. um, you know, number of car parking spaces or where someone can park. We do find that if, if those uh, bylaws are not provided, it can immediately lead to confusion at the start mm. of the tenancy. Mm. Um, tenants should read through the terms of the rental applications in detail. Um, some of these, uh, I guess, applications we do see or we do hear uh, that if the property is offered to the tenant, they must accept it, and often that's put on the uh, the application itself. Right. Um, that needs to be taken into consideration because you know, in a competitive market, mm. uh, it's common practice for tenants to apply to multiple properties. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, a bit of a tricky one sometimes. Um, but once you've read through all of the uh, the information provided, it gives you an opportunity to ask questions uh, about any of the rights and responsibilities outlined in the agreement uh, and making sure that you fully understand what's involved. Um, after you've read through the agreement, you're happy with the details, that's when you can sign the lease and pay the bond, committing you to the tenancy. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's an important uh, consideration, making sure you're understanding all the terms and conditions, um, taking a proactive approach, so asking questions, not mm-hmm. just being passive and, and signing and accepting. Yep. Make sure you understand what's involved because 
the tenancy agreement is a, a legally binding contract. So there can be consequences uh, for people who don't comply with terms and conditions, uh, such as the lease, where they align with, uh, with the Queensland tenancy laws. Right. So <laughs> when does the entry condition report need to be completed and returned to the managing party? So when you actually go into the property for the first time, usually before you move all your stuff in, um, when do you need to have that completed by? Um, entry condition reports probably one of my favourite documents. Yeah. Um, not that we should have attachments necessarily <laughs> to documents. That might speak more about me than anything else. But um, it's a critical piece of information for a tenancy. Um, the property manager is, I guess, talking through how it would be done because uh, you're absolutely spot on. You want to do, as a tenant, you want to complete the, mm. your side of it before you move all of your possessions and, and furniture into the property. But the way it's supposed to work uh, is that the property manager or owner uh, must prepare, sign and give a copy of the report to the tenant at the start of the tenancy. And that's where they've gone through and indicated from the, the property manager or owner's uh, perspective, uh, each item on the list uh, being clean, undamaged and working. So they note down any um, you know, minor damage mm. or anything there. Um, it's to give a um, you know, an accurate uh, depiction of the property mm. uh, from their perspective. That's then given to the tenant who then takes their, uh, their report to the property and goes through page by page um, with the same report and noting whether they uh, agree or particularly disagree mm -hmm. with the condition of the items by including their own comments. Um, taking photographs or uh, video at this point can help support what's written on the report, um, you know, potentially further down the track. Uh, but again, from a uh, keeping accurate records perspective, really important to do mm. this. Uh, from that, the tenant then returns the completed signed report to the property manager or owner within three days. Um, once, the, once the property owner or manager has received that completed report, they then have to send a copy of the signed and completed report back to the tenant within 14 days. Mm -hmm. Now, if the tenant doesn't complete and return that report, um, it potentially, uh, I guess, means that the version that the property manager or owner has has put forward mm. makes it difficult to argue with. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons that we look at um, with the short time frame, for instance. Yep. So we sometimes get tenants saying, well, why do I only have three days to complete this? Uh, it's supposed to be an accurate record of how the property is right at the start of the tenancy when you've mm. first taken it on. So the longer you leave it, yeah. the less accurate it's like it's potentially going to be mm. um, and the more contentious that it makes it. So um, absolute best practice, get it completed, get it back to the agent, be comprehensive. Um, you know, I, would, I would generally get my partner to do it <laughs> on my behalf because I, I tend to gloss over things and go, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my wife is far more diligent. <laughs> And, and this is the thing, I think um, we need to take the time to, you know, look at the details when it comes to this particular um, report because, um, you know, you, you're probably really excited, you want to move in, you want to get your stuff in, you just want to get on with your life, but 
you can't you can't wait around for weeks to submit that thing. It's three days. Get it done and just move on because <laughs> absolutely. I think, yeah. and the more detail you can put into it, the better because it'll help you at the end of the tenancy when you actually need to do the exit report. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So one other thing to consider then with the entry condition report, it's, it's really important that we get off on the right foot when we start a tenancy. So making sure that we keep the paperwork, we keep everything safe and we don't rely on the managing party or the agent. Yeah, uh, I would always recommend that you don't rely on anyone else. Yes. Uh, keep, <laughs> keep your own records, keep good records. Uh, these days we keep electronic records, uh, which means that we you know, still have access to them. They don't get... Mm. Uh, water damaged potentially or lost in a drawer somewhere, (laughs) thrown away. Um, Just to uh, summarise, I guess, on that. So the entry condition report is, it's recording the condition of the property and any inclusions. So that can include furniture, for instance, uh, at the start of the tenancy. It's a critical document. It must be completed and signed by both parties. Completing the report properly and taking photos, videos along the way as evidence. Um, it supports uh, information in the report. Um, it's it's what we would recommend to avoid future problems, uh, especially with the bond refund process uh, and also with the dispute resolution process. So it's one of the, the key documents that uh, we would look at if there were a dispute regarding the condition of the property at the end of the tenancy. Mm. Um, start of the tenancy, as as you mentioned, it's very easy to get swept away with mm. everything's fine. Yeah. Um. Oh, and and dismissing things as oh that's not a big deal. Mm. Uh. When it comes to the end of the tenancy, and you're then finding that it's not actually been uh, documented at the start, there's a potential that you are held responsible yeah. for uh, for existing damage. Um. I always recommend treating these tenancy processes like business transactions, uh, and that includes keeping records and copies of mm. all correspondent documents. Um, we recommend keeping the records for at least a year after the tenancy finishes. So as a, a property owner or a manager, that's a requirement. Yep. Um, but for a tenant, you may still uh, want to keep those records for a period of time. Mm. Uh, and again, not relying on the other party to have all the documentation uh, and... Uh, if they do have all the, the documentation, probably not relying on them to help you out yeah. in a dispute against them by yeah. providing that information to you. Um, entry condition report, just finally, uh, it can be considered at QCAT as strong evidence. It's, it can be really hard mm. to uh, convince a, a tribunal or a, an adjudicator of the tribunal of your position if you don't have the entry condition report. Mm. So that's just another reason why it's so important to hang on to it and make sure it's really accurate. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. All right. So um, sometimes we might actually not be able to see a property beforehand, which probably is not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make sure you look at a property first and, and the condition of it. What would you do if you arrive at a property and it's not fit to live in? Sure. Uh, this, this can happen uh, whether it's being uh, sight unseen, for instance, mm. or not. Uh, sometimes you'll, or often you'll go and look at a property and it's got current tenants in it. Mm. Uh, you assume that it's all going to be clean and everything's fixed when it comes your turn to uh, to take the tenancy on, but yep. sometimes that's just not the case. Uh, it's a requirement regardless of 
the circumstances. It's a requirement for the property to be clean and fit to live in uh, and to be in good repair. So if you if you turn up to the property, you're moving in and you find it's not in that condition, really important to be clear with communication. Uh, you document it with the entry condition report uh, and request from the, uh, the owner or the manager um, that the property be cleaned or fixed. Otherwise, it's a potential breach of the agreement right from the start. Um, the level of issue or, or action required will depend on the condition. So is it just dusty and needs someone to clean it? Uh, in that case, if you do clean it yourself, make sure this is documented uh, as you have to return the property in the condition you first received it at the end of the tenancy. Uh, I'd just like to make a little note that returning it deliberately dusty and dirty uh, <laughs> because that's the condition you received it in yep. may not go down well. No. Uh, but if it's if it's so bad that you feel you can't even move into the property, mm. there are processes to follow uh, and they would generally tie in around compensation uh, and the potential that you might need um, to request QCAT to make a ruling on the tenancy. Those are for you know, really seriously uh, properties that are not able to be uh, to be lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, we always recommend inspecting the property in person before you commit to the tenancy. Understand there are you know, more and more now uh, there are situations where that may not be able to happen, mm. but wherever possible, uh, you want to be able to uh, to view the property in person. But if you don't, and you then want uh, the tenancy to you, know, you want to end it early after you've moved in. Um, potentially that could work against you. Mm. If you apply to QCAT for a ruling uh, and they may determine that uh, you didn't exercise due diligence. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, really getting in and having a good look before you you sign up for anything is a great idea. Yeah. So, access to the property. Uh, Obviously, we need keys, we need things like security codes, remotes. Um, Those all need to be collected from the managing party. So, when can you expect to get those? Okay, no worries. Um, usually the keys or the access to the, the property will be provided after the bond is received by the managing party or when they've been notified that the bond has been lodged directly with the RTA via our web services. So mm-hmm. when we notify them, essentially, they're, they're likely to have uh, confidence that the money has gone through uh, and be then able to, uh, to hand the keys over. Um, just a note on that. So the property manager or owner must provide each person named on the tenancy agreement with a set of keys for entry mm-hmm. to the property uh, and one full set of keys should be provided to the tenancy for all locks on mm-hmm. the property. So that's uh, including yeah, building locks, security gates, uh, rooms, sheds, lockable cupboards, mailboxes. Right. So here's one for you. Can a tenant change the locks of the property? Uh, locks can be changed, uh, but there are requirements around it. So mm-hmm. they can only be changed if the tenant and property manager or owner agree uh, in an emergency or by QCAT order. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if a tenant is experiencing domestic and family violence, uh, for instance, they can change the lock to their rental property without consent but they must provide copies of keys or access codes to the property manager or owner uh, as soon as practicable. Um, 
that's that's a rule basically <coughs> or a um, condition that's applicable until 30th of April 2021 uh, under the temporary COVID regulations. Great, okay. So we've been talking a lot about web services um, and how it plays a part in starting a tenancy. Um, can you just break that down for us, Sam? Uh, so... As, uh, as mentioned before, the, the RTA web services is an online channel for essential tenancy transactions. So you can lodge your bond directly with the RTA using the bond lodgement web service. You can add or remove bond contributors uh, and or change the way the total bond is distributed among contributors via the change of bond contributors web service. Uh, and you can update your details on file at the RTA through the update your details web service. It's so much easier from when I last did a tenancy. Can I just tell you? <laughs> oh my God, so That's much easier. I'm very pleased. <laughs> now, another thing to consider when we're starting a tenancy, I mean, we, we have bond, we have rent. What about things like holding deposits? Sure. Uh, holding deposits, uh, again, can be a, a source of uh, contention mm. uh, in, uh, in the start of a tenancy. So, a prospective tenant can be asked for a deposit to reserve or hold a property that they intend to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's if that's uh, happening, then the tenant must be given a copy of the proposed agreement, which includes any special terms or bylaws before money is taken. Um, there is a, a specific p- uh, process to follow, and again, I would recommend people read up on the on the website before uh, going into these situations, but. Uh, you're looking at providing a signed receipt when the deposit is paid. Uh, that receipt must include details such as timeframes of opting into the tenancy. If you don't specify a time period on that, then the uh, the period defaults to 48 hours. Um, if the tenant doesn't notify the, the property manager or owner within the agreed timeframe, then the property manager or owner can actually keep that deposit. Uh, if the tenant notifies the, the property manager or owner within the agreed time frame that they don't wish to proceed with the tenancy, then the holding deposit must be refunded within three days. Right. Okay. So let's say we've gone, all right, got my dream house, going to sign this lease, I'm ready to go for it, but then, I don't know, something goes wrong and i am changed my mind. So when... One of the parties changes their mind at the start of a tenancy last minute. What's the process uh, to not enter an agreement? Mm. Uh, and look, things do happen. Mm. Uh, we understand and I think everyone understands that sometimes circumstances can mm. change suddenly. Yeah, uh, Communication is always going to be the key. Uh, as much as you might want to just avoid mm-hmm. the situation because yeah. it, it can be embarrassing awkward. or awkward... <laughs> Uh, really important that you notify the other party as soon as you possibly can yep. and, and essentially starting negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time you might see uh, these situations treated similarly to a break lease situation mm-hmm. or ending the tenancy early. Now, there, are, there are multiple factors affecting how this could be approached though um, and that's dependent on whether it uh, needs to go to conciliation through the RTA, for instance, through our dispute resolution process. Um, This could be as a dispute over the bond uh, or even whether QCAT needs to be involved. Uh, But some considerations 
that you would uh, you would reasonably look at would be when did they when did the tenant make this change of mind or prospective tenant I should say mm-hmm. make this change of mind known to the other party uh, has the bond been paid or lodged has there been a tenancy agreement signed uh, if the tenant changed their mind and the managing party could easily find someone else who applied for the property who's ready to move in around a similar time um, you know they may not. Uh, need to necessarily charge the reletting fee or advertising costs again. Uh, a lot of it comes down to uh, compensation mm-hmm. for uh, for legitimate losses. So question on when the agreement actually comes into play. So there's no cooling off period uh, in, uh, in tenancy legislation in Queensland. Mm. Um, but the question could be, have the tenants actually taken possession of the property have they collected keys? Have they signed the agreement? Mm-hmm. Or have they just given an indication that they would take the property? Uh, if a bond has been paid, well, if it hasn't, um, it can be a difficult process to claim compensation. Mm. Uh, and there may be circumstances where the, the property manager or the owner uh, would be better uh, looking at trying to find someone to replace uh, the prospective tenants mm. as a priority. Uh you might even find that it's it's down to personal circumstances changing um, mm. and there is provision in our legislation for ending a tenancy uh, due to excessive hardship. That's a matter for QCAT to rule on, mm-hmm. but these are all factors that the prospective tenant uh, and the property owner or manager need to take into account on what action they would take. Yeah, so you do have some options if you find yourself in that situation. Yeah. Thanks, Sam, for helping us uh, to navigate what we need to know when we're starting a tenancy. So in summary, it's beneficial to know your rights and responsibilities when you decide to rent a property. Make sure you ask questions and do your research. All of this information is included in the information statement, which is required to be provided at the start of the tenancy, also known as the pocket guide. For more information, visit rta.qld.gov.au. Thank you for listening to the Talking Tenancies podcast. For more information about the Residential Tenancies Authority, visit rta.qld.gov.au.